the tag team is back again. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the MMA edition as we strap on the gloves for another lethal dose of that performance-enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell is, in fact, the voice that you hear. Just about ready to tag in my main man, Muhammad Lawal, for an absolutely loaded show that is guaranteed to impress. I'm not impressed by your performance. Not only is King Mo, the Bellator MMA star, back with us again, but we've got a colorful sit-down with Chael Sonnen, who headlines Saturday's Bellator 192 card in the first round of that 2018 heavyweight Grand Prix tournament. Look, the American Gangster talks Rampage Jackson, Conor McGregor, and much, much more. It's a talk. It's a chat. You simply won't want to miss. But we've got a detailed preview, just the same, of Saturday's UFC 220 card from Boston which features a pair of title fights atop the card that promise nothing but fireworks as Stipe Miocic defends his heavyweight crown against Francis Ngannou and Daniel Cormier faces off with Vulcan Ozdemir for that 205-pound championship. And speaking of UFC 220, if you call yourself, let's say, the ultimate MMA fan, you know, somebody who knows the fighter's strengths, knows their weaknesses, well, now it's time to put that knowledge to the test and experience the excitement of fantasy MMA at this week. Fight. What am I talking about? DraftKings.com. Yes, the destination for daily fantasy sports. And now they're bringing that excitement of fantasy MMA to fight fans everywhere. This Saturday, you can square off against fellow MMA fans and play for huge cash prizes. Now, if you haven't tried this yet, Fantasy MMA, very easy to play. You pick six fighters, you stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for every takedown, submission, significant strike, and much, much more. Each one brings you closer to a payday. Now, there's no better way to test your MMA knowledge than on DraftKings.com. So here's what I want you to do. Head on over to DraftKings.com right now. Use the promo code CORNER to choose your fighters and cash in this Saturday night. That's promo code CORNER to get free entry with your first deposit to a fantasy MMA contest with $10,000 in total prizes available. Yes, 10000 Go to DraftKings.com, promo code CORNER. Now, a $5 minimum deposit is required and eligibility restrictions may apply, but See DraftKings.com for more details and one more piece of business before we get things rolling. You know, if you like what you hear on today's show. If you see something, say something. Well, you already know what to do. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review. Heck, take that 60 seconds. Give us a five-star review. We want to keep bringing the PEA, the Performance Enhancing Audio, your way. Help us out on the back end to do that. Spread the word on social media using that hashtag in this corner. But with all the business taken care of, it's time to have some fun. It's time to bring the tag team back again. Enjoy. King Mo and the Brian Campbell coming back at you. So much to talk about in a loaded week of MMA. The first real big weekend to kick off 2018 with dueling Bellator and UFC cards and a lot of news in the news cycle. King Mo, welcome back to the In This Corner podcast. I assume you're in the gym. I assume you got nothing but Bader and bad things on your mind. How the heck are you, my friend? Oh, I'm good besides the bad things in my mind. You know, I'm ready to do some damage. We got some time, but uh, it's going to come. All right, all right. Well, we've got a, a very tasty Chael Sonnen interview we can't wait to listen to and talk about where, you know, he may or may not have said this about the king. King Mo's a tough son of a bitch. That guy's all right with me. I mean, I can't, I can't really argue with that, Bo. Uh, Chael, Chael's my boy, man. Chael's a, he's a hell of a competitor. You know, great personality for MMA. Um, 
really, let's be real, he is an icon. Like when when Kenny tra- tra- Trash Talk, Tito set the bar, but I feel like Ch- I mean, my boy Chael surpassed that by far. All right, hold that thought. I want to get into that after we listen to Chael because Chael says some interesting things about his progression in Trash Talk and where he thinks he sits in comparison to those other great ones. But let's react to a couple bits of news to kick off King Mo in the week that we were off. Probably the, a little heartbreaking bit of nugget news came out was how UFC 221 sort of uh, took a little stain, took a little watering down. Now that middleweight champion or former interim champion, then upgraded to full UFC middleweight champion Robert Whitaker is injured. Gone is he from his homecoming opportunity in Australia. So the replacement, King Mo, is that Luke Rockhold will now fight Yoel Romero for another interim UFC middleweight title with the winner then facing a fully healthy Whitaker for the unified belt. All I look, I love this matchup. Like I've wanted to see Rockhold Romero forever, to be really honest, because this division's loaded. But the word interim is like slapping me in the face over and over again. We can't seem to get things right at middleweight. We can't seem to sort things out. Like what the heck's going on here? Well, first of all, they should get rid of the interim belt. There should be no interim. They should just have Luke and Romero fight. The winner of that gets a title shot. Um, I, I don't know what they're trying to do, but I think what they're trying to do, honestly, when I think about it, it makes sense because the fans buy into it. The winner of this interim title will fight Rob Whitaker, right? In, back in Australia, because it only makes sense. You know, you're starting to notice the thing that the UFC is starting to do. They're starting to push guys from other continents and countries because there's more money to be made. Um, I feel like the, the MMA market's more enthusiastic in these other countries. So they're starting to go and push other guys like Ngannou. They, I know they love Ngannou to win because they can tap into the French market. Rob, Robert Whitaker has a whole continent slash country behind him. They're starting to do that because it brings in more money. That's a very good point. Uh, the problem here for the UFC, and this was their 2017 problem, is they have to rush a title onto this fight to make it sell worthy. But the reality is UFC 221 is once again another pay-per-view that's not pay-per-view quality. Again, I love the crap out of Rockhold Romero, but your co-main event is Mark Hunt Curtis Blades, and it kind of gets worse from there. That's just not something that's going to move product. That's going to do 150,000 buys. And, you know, I shouldn't care about the UFC's financial situation, but at the same time, it's like, ah, you know, you, you, you there's that the whole watered-down thing. You know, you demand more, you should get more. This feels like another Band-Aid situation. Well, it's not. Because what they're doing, if you think about it, what they're doing is kind of smart because what is, is, is UFC what now? 221. Where's it at? Australia. Perth, right? Yes. So what makes you think the Perth, the Perth city, the city of Perth didn't purchase the, didn't purchase the fight? If they're still going to keep on pay-per-view, it's pretty, it's a great chance the city of Perth or, or government, someone, someone in the, um, someone in the Australian government might have Talk to talk to them into purchasing the UFC event and actually like throwing it in their own. They might win in with the UFC, so so now the liability of losing the money on both sides is cut in half. This sounds like but, a Bob Arum to Macau type of deal. Yeah, I'm just saying that because you know for the most part, if you look at the UFC when they go overseas, they have events overseas. Like for instance, UFC Sydney, they have UFC Sao Paulo, UFC Glasgow. A lot of times when they have those names tagged onto the UFC after the UFC event, um, that means that the city or the state or the government, whoever, the nearby government there, purchased the UFC event. So they bought it and then the UFC staffing them people with the with the UFC workers. Yeah. Solid. 
I mean, that, that you know, that's interesting. It, it's uh, this card, of course, is is February eleventh. We'll have much time to preview that. Um, I kind of like, in a weird way, even though he lost, that Romero suddenly is is put back into the title picture because I feel like he's he's worthy. Like he's that ty- he's that guy. He could be in there. I know he straight up fairly lost a really fun fight against Whitaker last year, but I, I you know, Rockhold Romero is one hell of a matchup. You got that's got to get you a little excited there. It's a it's a it's a great matchup. I just I wish that Romero would have been more active. You know, I wish you know because the thing is like it's good to keep Evan stay active. You know, because then I feel like him being active and Luke being active just makes the fight much more bigger. But now, like you know, Romero people know Romero. Romero, we know he's a great athlete, great fighter, but he hasn't fought in who knows how long. He hasn't fought in a while. So. Yeah, he hasn't fought since Whitaker. I mean, this is yeah Whitaker fight. Yeah, what was that so, in April of last year? I mean, that was that was a long time ago. Yeah, and by the time they fight, it'll be it'll be like a ten month a ten month layoff. I guess you got to take the good with the bad. The good news at middleweight, if you care about things like titles and structures and rankings, is that Bisping and GSP are not at the top of it as, you know, sort of moonlighting champions. We're still on pace to find out who's the real best middleweight in the world. And like I said, I I can't hate on this matchup. It's just sort of another one of those palm to the forehead type of situations. But King Mo, we got a couple of storylines that came out of Sunday's UFC St. Louis card. The first time the promotion entered the city of St. Louis and... We had a little bit of fireworks here for sort of an in-between fight night card. The main event, Jeremy Stevens, uh, wow, the power takes over Duhu Choi in second round TKO via a quad of like vicious strikes. I didn't see this ending coming because we know that Stevens is just as likely to give you a KO as he is to get KO'd when he does step up in class. And what I guess I mean by that, I didn't see Choi suffering two straight defeats in such vicious fashion. Well, you know what? I wasn't sure. I, I know Jeremy's dangerous. And Jeremy's been training with my boy, um, Daryl Christians, who's a great wrestling coach, uh, multiple time Greco Roman national champion, world team member. And I've seen videos, cause, you know, I'm, Jeremy's a cool dude. I've, I've seen videos of Jeremy and, and my boy Daryl working together. So I figured if all else fails and Jeremy cannot knock him out standing, Jeremy can get the fight to the ground and do some work. You know, um, but, Really, when it came down to it, he didn't have to, he went to the ground and threw some strikes, but more than anything, he did damage the second round standing. First round, he landed some shots, but he was kind of getting touched up. You could possibly say he lost that round. You know what I'm saying? He did lose the first round, but then he came back strong and, uh, came out, came out real strong, actually. I mean, he's always going to be dangerous. He's always got that, that knockout ability, and he also has an ability to sort of, uh, curb losing streaks. You know, he'll suffer two in a row and you're like, okay, this guy's, a, you know, he's a, he's a journeyman. He's a mid carter. And then he'll sort of pull off wins like this that puts him back into the title discussion out of nowhere. So it's like, he's 31. He's been in the octagon 27 times. I mean, this guy's a veteran, but do you think the narrative's true that we're seeing the evolution that he's constantly, you know, constantly fixing his mistakes and sort of refining himself? I think he's evolving. I think he's, you know, he's, um, you see him pacing himself a little better. <clears throat> I see him throwing like more cleaner shots. He's not winging. He'll wing, but I see him throw straight punches and jabs first. The only thing he does not like is he'll he'll kind of stop switch stances right in front of you sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Unless unless I'm mistaken, that's one of the few things I don't like. He gets hit too much. But other than that, he has a good chin, good good uh, good cardio, solid wrestler, great power. So he he's always gonna be a problem because he has other things to fall back on. Absolutely. Now, the the whole, the real, you know, the bigger story was sort of Duhu Choi and the fact that 
you know, 2016, he was the unbeaten or unbeaten in the UFC Korean Superboy with the ridiculous, powerful right hand that you're like, wow, for for the you know South Asian market, this guy could be a face. This guy could do damage. This guy with the with the little kid smile is a killer. And it's not that he's not those things. But when he stepped up to the next level, first against Cub Swanson in that fight of the year in December of 2016, and then after taking more than a year off this fight, now suddenly he's riding a two-fight losing streak in both were, you know, damaging losses. And at 26, we know he has a obligatory two-year military service in South Korea, you know, that he has to serve before the age of 30 that's coming. So suddenly... You know, two years ago, he's like this next big thing. Then you're like, okay, tough loss against Swanson. Let's see what he what he can do. Now we're now he's in a much much different spot. Yeah, he is. But at the same time, look at Korean Zombie. Korean Zombie went to the military, came back and won the big fight with Dennis Ramirez. Sometimes, like that break, if if you can use the break effectively and you can you can stay stay sharp, the break can help you. Granted, you might be you might be rustier coming back, but the damage that's been done. Might, 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 might be, could not be reversed, but slowed down. Because when you, once you have damage, it, it keeps going. You know what I'm saying? But things, you can slow it down by taking care of yourself. Do you think he was rushed too quickly into, into this level of Swanson and Stevens back to back? Do you think it was another one of those, hey, we might have a star here. Let's find out. Let's throw him in the deep end. Well, the thing is, it's always, it's always a chance to take. It's always a chance to take, you know, especially when you're dealing with, um, People from different different cultures, you try not different countries. You try to break into that market, so you try to figure out what they got. Now, Korea has had some great fighters, a history of great fighters. If you look at it, from coming back, starting dating back from Makayama, Japan, and people before that. But I just I just feel like you have to take the risk, you have to take the chance, you have to throw them out there. And they did that. And if you think, if you think about it, the first fight with Cub Swanson was a good fight, it was a great fight, great fight. And it, but. The, the side effects, you know what I'm saying? Like he took a year off to heal. It helped him, but then when he came back, he just got, he just found someone that had his number at that time. Sometimes, like you, sometimes you can, it's easy to fall into a, a bad street. It sort of looked like the fight changed on one specific punch. I think it was a, a right hand from Stevens where Choi got hit in the nose and, and you could just see in his face that I don't know if it broke or, or if, I mean, something, his foundation got shook. From that point forward, he looked a little bit tentative, looked like he was hurt. Look, the thing is, when I really saw it was when uh, he threw a kick and he got countered with the right hand, I saw his head snap back. Even before that, there were a few shots, but that one right hand off of that kick, the counter. Um, Jeremy landed is what I really saw change everything. You saw you saw Choi's head snap back, and you saw him stumble back a little bit. And once once you saw that, it was game over. So if you're uh, Sean Shelby and the matchmakers here, you uh, book him back in, in in a couple that he can win to to rebuild his confidence. Uh, if, if yeah, if I were, if I were Sean Shelby, I definitely um I definitely give him a, give him like a, you know a little, a little another showcase fight, then. Slowly build him back up. Give him a showcase fight, then give him a, a person ranked number eleven, then give him number nine or number seven. Like let him, let him like, well, let him ease back into the mix because he's, he's been out for a year while I, riding a two fight losing streak. You know, get, throw him a little bone, man. You just can't have him fight tough people all the time. So that's that's what, that's the problem with um with um you see it in MMA a lot of times when you you know not in Bellator as much because Scott Coker builds guys, but I feel like in the UFC like they don't build. They build certain people, only a certain people, but the rest of them they throw out there and see what see what's gonna what's gonna float. And I think sometimes you, you know, see? 
even guys no. like me have to slow the roll because, you know, sometimes we have this boxing mentality that one loss or two losses, you know, back to back. Oh, they're not the guy anymore. They're done. When, I mean, MMA is a constant reinvention. The guys are constantly coming back from a couple of losses. Jeremy Stevens is a great example and evolving and, and changing it up. And, you know, there's many ways to lose an MMA fight. So Choi just lost a fight of the year hell burner against Cub Swanson and then ran into a very tough focus guy on the rise looking for a title shot. But King Mo, the co-main event brought just as many stories when you consider Paige Van Sant breaking her right forearm in round one. Fighting through it, still throwing spinning back fists and elbows and losing a unanimous decision. So to Jessica Rose Clark. So the storyline that came out of here, King Mo, was, oh, PVC is really tough. She really wants to be a fighter. I don't want to be a hater, but the story I pulled out of there is I'm not sure she has a division. I'm not sure if she'll ever be who they hope she'll be. She's good, but I don't think she'll ever be great. Injury or not. Well, she's young. I, we still, we still know. Um, one thing I, one thing I picked out is I, I didn't like is, is uh, thing. If you think about this, right? Um, Dana White praised her for fighting tough. She fought through it because she's tough. She's tough as nails. I can imagine breaking my arm and fighting like that. You know, it never happened to me. I can imagine it. Remember when Sage Northcutt fought and he fought sick, and Dana White was like, "Man, he was sick. I shouldn't let him fight." Oh man, he was sick. That was my fault. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have let Sage and Sage lost. Well, Uriah Hall, Uriah Hall, wasn't feeling right. He'd been talking about his body not feeling right for the past week or two. If you look at the interviews, his trainer committed suicide, and now and I've seen Uriah Hall train at the gym. Obviously, he trains hard. I've seen him. I'm not. I'm not friends with him like that, but I've seen him. I know he trains hard. But Dan White to come out there and say he don't take his career serious. Is a is a slap in the face. Yeah, I mean, he fainted on the way to the weigh-ins. He was hospitalized. Not just that, but like you know, his his trainer, his main coach, his head coach, Rob Robert Follis. You know, yeah, I know Rob. Rob, rest in peace. He's a great man, great coach, a great mind for MMA. But for for your head coach to commit suicide and die and and, and pass on you before a big fight, that's kind of, that's 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 a head buster, man. No doubt. Some head buster. My take on uh, on sort of what oh, look page is twenty three. You're right. She there's there's no reason to rush to judgment. But the point is like she's in a spot where she can't just be good. She needs to be great for them because they want to make her the face of things. So she detailed in the build up to this fight how death defying her weight cut to one fifteen had been. Like she she was very open and honest and said she literally prayed to the Lord while cutting weight that this wouldn't kill her. So they open up a one twenty five division. They put the title on on a not you know a non marketable person off the tough show right away. It felt to me like a victory here on Sunday night would have given PVZ a, a rush to a title shot. Like they wanted her to be the face to this, of this division. And injury or not, she once again sort of came up short when they when they propped her up right. Like she did against Rose Namajunas, and obviously a really tough matchup. Now it's sort of like this, King Mo. She looks small at one twenty five. I don't even with that division not being a division, I don't really like have confidence that she's going to bounce back and win a title for them. And it, she's having problems making 115. I feel like she's too small for 125. So will she be content being a not a journeyman that I don't see her as that, but a glamorous journeyman in an in, in essence when she potentially has so many opportunities outside of the cage, including her own comments this past week that basically Vince McMahon called me. I'd love to, 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 you know, cross over to WWE. Well, you think about it, the UFC, most of the people in the UFC seem like they're 
glorified journeyman because they don't get pushed like that. Um, I feel like I feel like they dropped the ball at Paige because they with the, if they were smart. They had Paige fight the Ultimate Fighter. Don't don't baby have her fight the Ultimate Fighter. See where she's at and assess where she's at. Then go from there and rebuild her. Like you know, move her slow because they could have done like they could have done like what 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 Al Heyman and Shelly Finkel did with Deontay Wilder. You know, Deontay Wilder when he turned pro because he was so green. After two years of amateur, they moved him super slow, super slow for years. He turned like he, he was turned pro in 2008, I believe, and didn't fight his first major killer till like two years ago in Burmester Burn. Some would say he so never like, has fought move. a killer. King well, that's sort of. The, I mean, he's going to be 49 and 0 before before we realize it. Before he gets him, but yeah. no. But at the same time, like now, but now, remember back in the day when 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 uh, um, Klitschko used to call him out, like I want to fight Deontay. Deontay, where you at? And they purposely was like Deontay ignored that. You're not ready. We're gonna build you. They could do the same thing with with Paige. Had her fight the Ultimate Fighter. If say, say she lost first round, they're like, okay, we know she lost this girl first round. Let's go to the drawing board. Let's build her because she's young. She's a young girl. Let's build her and let's we can help make her a star. Look what they did with Conor McGregor. They gave Conor the right matchups. You know what I'm saying? The right stylistic matchups. But Paige, Paige is so green. Like you can give the right matchups, but at the same time, her inexperience will kick in. You know what I'm saying? You have to give certain people that, that people that have no power, people that can wrestle but not but don't have any submissions, people that have submissions but have no takedowns. They got a match up with people like that, so he builds her so she sees everything. Right now she's just she's just too young and I feel like she's still green. And now she's, she's lost three or four. So it's like yeah, she's went on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, they she seemed to be one win away from a title shot in a new division that arguably was created for her, but she still lost three or four and she's gonna be coming off in an injury. So I just don't know with her, like how long is she going to want to potentially win one and lose one, win one and lose one? And, and at what point is she no longer marketable? You know, when does she go all in and cut her losses and say, okay, my stock may never be as big again as it is right now. Let me go to WWE. Let me go model. Let me go whatever. Well, if she goes to WWE, she'll get aired a lot right, right, right away. Cause like, it's not, everybody thinks it's not that easy as everybody thinks it is. Oh, I'm going to go to WWE. I'm not that easy. You gotta pay your dues. Right. Like it's one thing to come in as a celebrity for a one-off and you get protected and you take a few bumps. And it's another thing to become a full-time superstar and live that life and get that kind of, you know, grind on your body, right? Yeah. Yeah. You definitely got to protect your body, be smart. But if, like, if I were Paige, I would look in the mirror and I'd be like, you know what? Let me look at my last fights. I look good at Alpha Male. She looked okay at Alpha Male. She looked horrible last night because Really, if you saw she's trying to do that karate kick thing over and over and over again. Over, let me tell you something, right? The fight was weird because the girl, what's her name? Rose Clark? Yes, Jessica Rose Clark. Jessica Rose Clark was pursuing, uh, um, um, uh, Paige for no reason. Like, she was up two runs of nothing. She was pursuing and almost got knocked out pursuing her. And then Paige was, was down by two rounds and was fighting going backwards, which made no sense. If our Paige, I would look, watch my old fights, and be like, you know what? I need to find new coaches. And guess what, Paige? You come to America Top Team. We got plenty of bodies for you in America Top Team. There it is. There it is. There's the advertisement. I'm just saying. (laughs) I mean, that's your home. In my home. This is my home right here. This is America Top Team. Don't don't disrespect me in my home. Don't don't do it, PVC. Don't disrespect (laughs) him. Nah, but I I just think that, you know, if she looks back, like, she needs to go with a good team that will put time by – to like you know, put some time into it. Alpha male was a good good squad because I saw di- I saw a difference in their striking, I saw a difference in the submission game, saw a difference in the ground game, everything. Wrestling, her conditioning, she looked stronger. 
But then last night, what I saw was not good at all. Not last night, but two days. Uh, was it two nights ago? Sunday nights night. Ago. Sunday night, yeah. What I saw Sunday night was not good. Um, And I, I know that Paige, is, she's talented, she's young. But I feel like she needs to get with the right team, get with the right group of people that can help her take her game to a whole different level. All right, I like that. I like that. Uh, you know, it's a problem in this one-two-five women's division for UFC King Mo. When I have to look up who the champion is, and it's uh, Nico Montano who defeated Roxy Modafferi for that title in the Ultimate Fighter finale. So, my question to you about the future of the flyweight division because I thought they were setting this division up to be Pages. Now she's coming off a loss and an injury. Is this division Valentino Shevchenko's in the long run? Or is it Ioana Young Jacek, or both if they fight each other, or is this going to be a a sort of uh, trouble spot until they can develop a a fresh new face to be to to sort of take over and run it? Well, here's the crazy thing: I think the best 125 pounder in the world right now is a Bellator. So Bellator better keep her because that that when the Hawaiian girl I forgot her last name McFarlane. Uh, yeah, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, she's a problem. Grapple, striking, hard nose, and she's in the the fighting country of Hawaii. Let me tell you something. Anybody from Hawaii, you don't want to fight them. Uh, yo, they, the uh, Alima Lay McFarland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's tough. She's tough. She's very well rounded. Now with Joanna, what I'm hearing, I'm jo- I'm hearing Joanna wants to stay at 115. Um, with the other girl, um, what's that girl's name from uh, Valentina? Yes. She might go down. I'm hearing she's going down. That's the only one I could think of. Well, um, she can't get I, past Noons. I mean, I, I thought she beat Noons the second time, whatever. They're close fights. But if she can't – if there's somebody atop her throne in her division, she can't get over the top, she might as well cut down to her natural rate. Wait, Shevchenko will be a problem at 125. Yeah, or she can see what happens because, you know, Cyborg and uh, and and, um, and uh, um, new Amanda supposed to fight eventually. No one knows when, but who knows? You know, I, that fight's going to be a big fight, but, you know, who knows what's going to happen, you know, because – Say say um Cyborg were to lose that fight, Amanda would probably stay up, or keep both belts. Who knows what's gonna happen? Or say Cyborg beats Amanda, Amanda gets hurt, then you might have another interim belt situation. Who knows? The UFC just you should know this: if the champion gets hurt, interim belt. So just know, <laughs> champion gets hurt, interim belt. So Daniel, do not get hurt beating this guy up this weekend. I might have another interim belt situation with you. Just stay healthy. <laughs> Uh, to close on UFC St. Louis, do you have any thoughts on Kamaru Usman uh, pulling out a unanimous decision against Emil Meek and then calling out Colby Covington afterwards? Is Usman a legit welterweight threat? Because I felt like this was a little bit of a step down from those powerful come-see-me performances he's been putting on. I don't know, man, because I'm going to be real with you. Like, um, I feel like Colby and Usman are the same fighter. Think about both wrestling base. Hands, I feel like Usman has the edge on hands. I feel like Kobe has the edge on cardio. Ground game, maybe Kobe a little bit. Um, pressure, definitely Kobe. Um, explosion, Usman. But really, if you look at both, when they, when they fight, when they fight guys, for the most part, both guys, when the, when the opponents leave, they leave the cage unscathed. Because these guys are control fighters. They're not worried about doing damage as much. They're worried about controlling you, then beating you up. You know what I'm saying? Which is position. Over submission or damage, you know what I'm saying? So they're kind of the same fight in a sense. You know, I don't know if they're going to mess them two up, but I feel like both of them have a lot to prove yet. You know, I think it's too early to mark, um, you know, name those guys, um, the top of the food chain. Like, yeah. because really, other than Damian Maya, Kobe hasn't beat nobody. Damian Maya, I think Mike Pyle, two good wins. Um, Usman has beat Haider Hassan and Mike Graves, I believe, and that's about, I can't, 
I can't name anybody. Uh, oh, Surgeon Mariah? Yeah. Mariah. Sean Strickland. Yeah, no, no, no killers here. I mean. Yeah, no, no killers, but, it's, you know, but at the same time, the UFC, I don't know why they won't push him or give him a bigger name, but maybe he can talk. He can, he can talk. So him against Covington would be a, a nice little trash war on the way there. He, he could talk, but you know what? Like the, the interview I saw him do yesterday was so lame. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't want to, no one cares about 30%. You know what I'm saying? Tito, yeah. listen, if Tito Ortiz would have came out with that stuff first from years ago, then we'll, we'll win all ears. You know what I'm saying? But even at 30%, Usman looks solid at 30%. I wouldn't say he's 30%. You know what I'm saying? Because if, 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 if that was 30%, then it's at, at 100%, he'd kill the guy. So who knows? You know what I'm saying? Like, no one, no one's going into the fights saying, hey, I'm going to fight at 30%. You might be at 30%, but we're going to, we're going to get our minds right and fight at 100%. You know what I'm saying? Like, that whole 30% thing. Because if he would have lost, then what's he going to say? Oh man, I fought, took that fight at 30%. Then the person would have been like, why, why are you going to fight at 30% when you lost? Yeah, Get if your, you step into that cage, right, the all, all, you know, you almost can't comment on it right now. Then you're healthy enough to fight. Yeah, and I, I feel like Usman. I feel like Usman, if I'm a Usman, I'd be like, look, man, um, you don't give me Colby, give me someone that's gonna beat me. Because if you, if they want to make Usman exciting and, and a killer, make him, make him, make him fight exciting. Put someone out there that can stop his takedowns, which it's gonna be hard for, to find somebody that can do that. But put people out there that force him to stand and knock you out. That's what Sergio Mariah did. Because Sergio Mariah's ground game was so dangerous, he was like, "You know what? I'm not gonna wrestle this guy. I'm gonna knock him out and get him out of there." And he can do that. He can do that. It's just that will he do that? That's interesting. The final note on this card, King Mo, is a tough break for Michael Johnson. Cuts to featherweight. This guy might be the most talented fighter in UFC history to have lost five of his last six, and they've all come against you know pretty pretty big names for the most part. But gets submitted by Darren Elkins, and it's like, man. Johnson, quick hands, hard left hand, put it on Elkins early, but the damage, as he calls himself, is suddenly on a six-fight win streak and is like a, you know, dark horse for a title shot eventually. This was an interesting turn of events. Yeah, you know what? One thing I can say about Elkins is that dude is like a in-shape version of Homer Simpson. Remember that episode? <laughs> Remember that episode when Homer Simpson became a boxer? Oh, yeah. And all he does is get beat up and guys with fatigue beating him up. This guy is the most durable guy. He's like the juggernaut. I don't think physical damage is going to slow him down. He's like a poor man's Justin Gagey, right? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I think he's actually tough than Justin Gagey. Wow. Wow. Because Hyder, like, you know, the thing is like his cardio, because with, with Justin Gagey's in shape, but you can see him get tired. You see him slow down. With Elkins, you don't see him slow down. He actually gets stronger as the fight goes. And, and I think that I think that he knows that. He's like, uh, he's like the MMA version of Jareth Swift Hurd. If you watch Jared Hurd box, oh, yeah. the first six rounds he loses. Now, same thing with same thing with Elkins. You watch Elkins fight when he fought his last fight before um when he fought uh Mursad. Mursad was beating him, beating the brakes off of him. Ten eight rounds, probably two ten eight rounds. Come the third round, Mursad was tired from beating him up. Elkins came with the pressure, stepped the takedown, head kick, it's over. That was one of the most dramatic comebacks. It was one of the fights of the year last year, one of the most dramatic comebacks I've ever seen. For him to win it's, by head kick and and run off with blood yeah. and swelling and I mean that that was that was crazy. Yes, and Elk and Elk is a blood and guts warrior. He has a story and he's a style to be a star off the story. He's like a, the Rocky, like you know, come from behind guy. All his fights, you know, getting beat up. He's a slow starter, getting beat up, getting beat up, getting beat up. And all of a sudden, he powers up like Hulk Hogan. You, <laughs> it's over. Darren Elkins hulking back up. All right, Kimo, we got a lot to get into for the loaded weekend. Let's start off first with the man himself, Chael Sonnen. Very interesting talk to throw to. Enjoy. 
Chael, we got to talk about this card. Bellator 192, Saturday, January 20th. The Forum in Inglewood, California. First round matchup of the heavyweight World Grand Prix tourney against Quentin Rampage Jackson. Chael, this could not be a tournament that's better designed for anybody but me. It's like the ultimate guilty pleasure. You got big names. You got different weight classes. You got, you know, guys, some some of them at the end of their career. I mean, a lot of potential for action. But it's also like old school UFC one type of feels mixed together. How much did that attract you in the same way? Well, I'm, I'm the same way, you know. Uh, forget about being a competitor. I'm a fan first. I've always liked the tournaments. That's what they used to be. You know, the tournaments got to be too hard. As the guys got better, they just they just couldn't walk out there over and over again. So that that, that kind of fell apart. But the platform never never fell apart for the understanding and the desires of the fans. Man, we get that. That's what the NCAA does. That's what the Olympics does. The NFL, everything goes into a straight line bracket. So one team is left standing, and they're they're called the champions. That's the number one architecture to use in any sport we just lost it in, in combat until now well chill i love your involvement because like i said multiple weight classes you've done your best work at middleweight i mean this is there's potential for some very interesting matchups if you keep advancing but there's also danger you could be in there against some big boys so from your perspective when it came to agreeing to do this how do you win this tournament how do you compete potentially against guys that size yeah, I'll tell you. You know, when I started fighting, we didn't even have weigh-ins, and uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not proud of that. The sport's in a lot better place, but that's how far I go back. Man, it was a, it was my sixth or seventh fight before I ever saw a scale. Uh, you know, that, that was no such thing. Gloves and hand wraps, and we just didn't do those kinds of things. So, you know, as far as the weight class, I've never really been into that. That's kind of came along a little bit later. Uh, but when I first dreamed of doing this sport, I was 178 pounds. I was 18 years old. And, uh, you know, I was going to have to beat Dan Segre and, and Tank Abbott, and that's just the way it was. So I, I couldn't really care less. <laughs> I love that. I mean, come on, that's American gangster style right there. But then when you look at what you've accomplished, and, you know, for for as many big fights as you've won, you're, you're just as well known for being, a you know, a character, a personality, for being able to sell. No question about that. But how much does the actual trinket, the actual prize, still motivate you at this point in your career to fill out that resume? Oh, that's everything. I mean, that's everything. I don't believe you can retire from a sport unless you win a world championship. I believe you just quit. You know, so someday a guy goes, oh, I'm retired. But if you're a world champion, okay, but the rest of us are just quitters. So, I, I mean, that's that's the way that it is. And I know which side of the fence I want to be on, but, uh, you know, it, it's hard work. It takes a lot. There's, there's just a lot that goes into it, and I'm not done pursuing that dream. A tournament like this is hard to handicap, Chael, because it's like this isn't 2005 Frank Mir trying to tap out, you know, Fedor in pride. Like this is this is adult men's league for some of the guys in the, who are in the more twilight second half of their career. So odds makers think they have a handle on it, but the odds makers also installed you and Rampage as the two with the worst odds to win this. When you look at this bracket outside of yourself, how do you sort of handicap who enters in here as the favorite out of these eight guys? Well, I think I think the winner of Mo and Bader has to be looked at. You know, don't forget Mo, Mo does his best work against heavyweights with his style and his ability to step in and hit you hard. And those bigger guys that just can't get out of the way, Mo Mo's going to be a big problem. Uh, Bader's a sitting and reigning world champion. 
you know, I do hear that, that, that uh, some of these guys in this tournament, you know, we got a world champion. We got a city that reigned world champion. And, and we had a, a slew of number one contenders that didn't even want to be alternate. They don't want anything to do with the tournament because it's so tough. So I don't know if I fully agree with that, but I think that that's got to be one you watch. I think that Mitch Rion, who is the favorite to win, I think that's the right favorite to win if they weren't doing a tournament. And they just pulled two guys aside and said, okay, you guys go fight for it like it's traditionally done. Mitch Rion would be one half of that fight. Uh, so it's just kind of a mess. You know, it's kind of all over the board. I'm not ready to write Fader off yet. Uh, and then what's right near, I mean, that guy's won world championships on multiple occasions. But he's a little inconsistent. You don't always know what Frank is going to show up. They're, they're, they're both damn good and damn dangerous. But there is a significant difference in how good and how dangerous. It's just got to play out. It's just got to play out. I'm very, I'm really looking forward to it as a fan. I, I would rather sit back and watch it than be in the midst of it. <laughs> I did like the way you, you sort of handicapped everybody's odds. You didn't sort of handicap your own though. Do you take umbrage with where the odds makers sort of put you, or do, or does that? Do you like that? Does that add the sort of fuel to the type of attitude you want to bring in there? No, I didn't even know it until you just said it. That actually surprised me. I, 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 that, that stunts me that somebody's counting all JLP out when I'm the greatest and most decorated fighter of all time. But I, I would imagine that since I haven't been in the weight class, maybe that played into it. Or maybe you're just having some fun with me. But that that stunned me when you said it, so I acted like it didn't happen. I, I fully uh, I could accept that. But uh, you look at Rampage now, age 39. I mean, you know, 5-1 and one in the last four years. But... To be honest, not the same Rampage, not the same guy. I know he's in great shape right now watching the, the, the Bellator produce preview videos. What, I guess, type of style or type of fight are you expecting and what type of version of this Rampage? Yeah, you know, the thing with Rampage is, is he's just a big, strong guy and he's a very good competitor. I've never known how much he loves this sport. He's very open to say he hates training, he hates the dieting, he hates some of the discipline. But I've never seen him back down, and I've, I've waited for it. I've watched I watched King Mo push him, push him all over that ring. But Rampage won't quit. He's one of those guys. He's got a fighter's heart. He's got a lot of grit and a lot of power. And, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a nerve-wracking fight, but they all are. That's, that's the charm of this whole thing. You know, that's the whole reason I got into this business is it's a tough business for tough guys. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I respect him, and I respect his career. Uh, I trained hard. I haven't thought about Rampage a whole lot, and I never do. You know, uh, opponents pull out all the time. Coker's got alternates that he hasn't even told us. I never know who's going to get in there, but I'm a wrestler, man. I never knew who was going to get on that mat. I wrestled four or five guys every single Saturday uh, since I was nine years old, and I never knew who was going to show up. And even once they show up, I don't know who's going to advance because it's a tournament. So uh, it doesn't make any difference to me. I, I get myself ready. Uh and that's it. I walk out there, and my skills against his, I'm better or he's better. It's pretty straightforward. Chael, you came back in 2017, fought twice after the four-year, three-and-a-half-year break, or, you know, to be more honest there. Uh, after the loss to Tito, you, you talked about wanting to and needing to be better, and you were against Vanderlei. And also in that fight, you know, you took some shots, and you and you sh- you and your chin held up well. Your, your wrestling was certainly on point. How would you sort of grade that performance on where you are right now. I destroyed Tito. And you can either believe me on that or you can believe your lying eyes. But that's where we are with that. And as far as getting better, yeah, man, there's not a single spot out there that I feel confident or, or that I feel comfortable or that I feel is complete. i got to work on everything. Strength, speed, techniques, 
submissions, offense, defense, hands, kicks, knees, everything. Um, you know, there's never a day I go into the gym and think, well, we don't need to work on that. That I got that one. So, uh, yeah, it is about getting better. It is about growing. You know, some of the guys that I, I really looked up to, I'll use Randy Couture as an example, Dan Henderson as an example, but they were able to extend their career. Randy won a world championship at 44. Henderson should have won a world championship at 46. They, they gave a split decision to Michael Bisping, but I thought that he had won the fight. And the point is, you know, the, I, I studied those guys on how they extended their careers. And I'll hear so many times in sports, well, he's no longer in his prime. And it's just not true. There is no such thing as prime. There's only prime motivation. It's a mental thing, not physical. A guy, sometimes when he climbs a mountain, he just doesn't want to climb it again. That's the prime. But uh, people don't understand that that aren't in sports. They think that physically somebody regresses. It, it, that's not accurate. You just either want it more at certain periods of your life, and that is what the fans can look back at. Well, that was his prime. It's a mental thing. And those guys were always able to stay motivated. And when they lost motivation, they turned to discipline. And I've done the same thing. You know, so, so, so fighting, you know, 40 years old is, is not something I'm entitled to do. It's something that I've been very fortunate to do. But it did come with a, a plan. I had a full plan behind it and, 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 and ways to extend your career. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was big news when you signed with Bellator in 2016. And, I mean, you bring a lot to the table outside of drawing ratings. You do commentary work for them. You assist in the, in, in the promotion just by speaking. But you're also looking to make fun fights, which attracts a lot of fans. So I'm curious, how much does actually winning them play into whether this is a success for both you and Bellator? Yeah, everything from well, you know, Bellator's a business. You know, let let them let them do what they do, and I'm not privy to that. Uh, every time Scott Coker's having a business meeting, and I walk over to say hello, they go quiet, man. They I, it, getting information is very tough. So uh, he may have a different answer for you, but uh, for me, I'm a competitor first, man. They can take their money and shove it up their ass. I, I never got into this for the money. I never got into it for the fame. I got into it because I am a competitor, and I like to compete. I got into wrestling as a way of figuring out who the toughest was. You know, my dad and I considered, okay, you want to go to wrestling or boxing? And my dad thought boxing is where, who the tougher guy was. I thought it was wrestling, and, and that's the way we went. Then all of a sudden, mixed martial arts came along, and we had to change paths. So, uh, yeah, I, as far as the success, I mean, they're going to have their different visions. I bring in big numbers, and they're looking for numbers. So, so good for them, but they don't have to share that with me. They don't have to cut me in on it. I, I'm here to compete. I got lots of ways to make money. I've stolen more money than I'll ever make in this business. And I'm rich. I made a lot of money in this business, but I, they can take it all back. I will still get in the ring. I could not possibly care less. Put that on a t-shirt, somebody, right now. Uh, let's talk gangster style, Chael, because, you know, big, a lot of headlines came out of, uh, some back and forth between you and Rampage where, we're talking about 10 dimes per takedown for you. Rampage wants $500 per jab landed for himself. We're going to see, is this a real bet? We're going to see money change hands. This, this adds a different flavor to the fight. You know, I will tell you as a man of honor, once, once you shake hands, you've got a deal and Rampage made a deal, but I don't know. I just don't know that I would look down on it. I don't, I don't know that I can hold him to it. I mean, he did the, the code of the street. He made a bet, and he shook hands, but he is now saying, well, but you didn't give me anything, which was never discussed. I told him up front, Rampage, I'm a married man. I can't go around making $10,000 bets. So uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But, yes, I am going to take him down. I'm going to take him down every time he gets back up to his feet. So if he wants to scratch a check, great. And if he wants to say, hey, listen, you got to let me slide on that, I'll let him slide on it. You know, but either way, I'm coming in there to win, period. I've always loved and admired 
you know, sort of what you bring to the game that, you know, win, lose or draw or even, you know, fail drug test. You're honest with the people. You explain yourselves. You're right back in there and you're ready to fight. But that's also sort of your image as sort of a, you know, top heel, a top villain when you need to be. For guys right now like John Jones and Anderson Silva, who were just, you know, in that greatest of all time conversation, now suddenly both looking at, you know, double failed drug tests. How much do you think that affects how we might remember them when you consider how they've handled their situations? Yeah, you know, who knows? Who, who knows what time will do? I believe the truth is your friend. I believe any time you're in a jam, it's best to just come out, uh, come as clean as you can, as quick as you can. Now, there are different PR approaches, and I think that's what you're asking. What's the best PR approach? Uh, I mean, those guys are clearly guilty, and they're sitting there saying, no, they're not. They've been guilty multiple times and saying, no, they're not. They were guilty on tests that they were passing and saying, no, we're not. But there is a historical refuge in that as well, where your fans can cling to that all the way until you open your mouth and tell the truth. So they can pick their own path. Now, once they get sworn in and they're under oath, the gig is up. They, they are best to just sit there silent or let somebody else speak for them. But uh, I, I don't know how much that will play. You know, the, the, the fans haven't seemed to care a whole lot, which was a surprise to me. When, when I came clean on it, I did think it was game over. Uh, and, and I'm just going to, to shuffle into the corner and face the wall wearing a dunce cap. But it just didn't happen that way. And, uh, and I don't know why. It, it, did, it did surprise me. And the same was uh, true with most of the baseball players that came clean. Uh, track stars that came clean. There was something about that where uh, th- there was some kind of admiration within the truth. And uh, it was a little above my pay grade to tell you psychologically why it even came as a surprise to me, but that was the reality for me. Jill, I'm curious, when was the turning point in your career, whether it's a year, whether it's a a specific fight, when you did the math in your head and you realized that maybe your mouth and your salesmanship could get you even farther than your actual ability? Was there a certain point in your pro career where that happened? You know, I never thought of it, and and I don't like it. You know, I don't. There's no title for that. There's no title for being most entertaining. There's no title for selling more tickets, more T-shirts, and more pay-per-views than anybody. I, I I'm proud of the fact, and I brag about it outside, but on the inside, it doesn't do a damn thing for me. This whole thing's about intrinsic value, and I was telling you before, they can keep their money. I'm still going to show up. Uh, I've been doing grappling matches all over the world, just just looking for competition because that guy says he wants to wrestle me. Uh, it, it's not about the money for me, so. Uh, and I don't blame the guys that it is. Some, some guys are a bunch of dumb-dumbs. That's what this sport attracts, and, and they don't have any other way to, to, to make a living. So I'm not begrudging anybody. I'm just sharing with you. For, for me, I'm a competitor first, man. From the time I was nine years old until right now where I'm 40 years young, um, I'm just looking to go out there and compete. I'm looking to work hard, put goals, risk everything, take my T-shirt off, put my mouthpiece in it, see what happens. Uh, so as, as far as the mouth goes, no, you know, I, I, I don't think there was ever a turning point. This, this is the fight business. I don't make any apologies. I don't believe in selling things, though. A lot of people believe in selling. I don't believe in selling things. I think that that's fraud. If you don't, if you don't mean it, don't say it. I, I haven't talked any trash about Rampage, and that doesn't, that doesn't help the business side of things. But I don't mean it. I don't feel it. I don't say it. I, I, you know, this is a retail business. I don't think you can go into a restaurant the guy promised you it was a steak and serves you a chicken, and this is why I was just trying to sell it. That's illegal. So I would never defraud the fans. I wouldn't say something I didn't mean. But at the same time, I'm not going to come out and apologize. You know, some of these guys with their ideas of what martial arts is, uh, they should go put their bathrooms on and try to break boards that are glued in half in the middle. I don't know anything about it. I'm a cage fighter, and if i got to crack a few eggs to make an omelet, so be it. 
Chael, when was the last fight you took part in that wasn't for pay, that wasn't in a cage, that took part in the form of real life? Uh, oh, like a street fight? Um, it, it was a very long time ago. I was a bouncer at a bar when I was 21 years old. Um, and there was nothing brutal. There. You know, I was, I was a grappler. I was very good at just grabbing and restraining people that were, were punching and kicking and calming them down and, and getting them out. So I didn't have too much stuff. I got called outside by this one guy, and I had to go because I had a girl with me. And uh, a couple of the guy's friends came outside. So I had a guy that came outside that was like a quasi-friend. I didn't even know his name, but I saw him around. And they sucker punched him and, and broke a few of his teeth, and it was just a mess, man. I'm not, I'm not really into street fights, but I don't like that. I don't even like to hear those stories. Uh, I think it needs to be to control the atmosphere. I don't like when people get hurt. I, I hate the, the sight of blood, uh, believe that or not. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very house-trained. And, and, you know, the other side of it is fairness without sounding too arrogant, but I was also the most feared guy in town. There wasn't too many people that were going to get into some gorilla stuff with JLP Sonnen. <laughs> West Lynn knew. They knew better. Come on. They knew better. Chael, <laughs> when you look at this bracket for the Bellator World Heavyweight Grand Prix, what's the one matchup that can attract the most eyeballs? Oh, you know, right now it's going to be Rampage and I. Rampage is a big name and he's a big deal and he does big numbers and no, nobody does as big a numbers as Sonnen. So, uh, I think that that's going to be a big fight. I'll tell you what I'm interested in. I really like, I'll tell you what's going to do the least numbers. The least numbers is going to be Mo Bader, but it shouldn't. That is a very interesting fight. You have the number one contender at light heavyweight against the light heavyweight champion of the world, but the belt is not on the line. So you've also got, you know, you got some storyline and some drama there. These guys also go back to the NCAA quarterfinals where King Mo beat him. I believe it was eight to three, and uh, dashed a lot of Bader's dreams. So I mean, th th there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of moving parts, and those guys are largely being overlooked just because they're smaller. But history says that the smaller guys do better. History proves that a size advantage is a disadvantage. Uh, there's just never been a time. Mike Tyson never had a size advantage, not once. I'll, I'll bring up a, a fact that will surprise you, but Muhammad Ali in his prime was 189 pounds. Uh, I apologize, 198 pounds. Muhammad Ali never had a size advantage. That's a myth, man. Some guy's kid got his ass kicked on the playground, and when he had to explain it to his buddies the next day at work, he goes, well, you know, Junior lost, but the other kid was bigger. Reality shows Junior was just a wimp. <laughs> I mean, Chael, you're a fighter, yes, but man, you say you don't, you know, rely on your mouth, but it's 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 entertaining. So when I watch, you know, the current, let's say, in his prime, best talker in Conor McGregor, and everybody goes, oh wow, you know, I see a lot of Ali in him, I see a lot of Floyd Mayweather in him, I see a lot of Chael Sonnen in him. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, and I and I take that as a compliment, and I think that Conor, you know, he read the book, but he ran with it. Conor, Conor's re, rewritten some chapters, and he's done a fantastic job, and it's brilliant, and he never breaks character. You know, I used to not do that either. I, I kayfabe it the whole way through to anybody. I'd be doing it to you right now. I'd be doing it to the fans, and I just got so much ass in me and so much media on me, and I, I'm not a great – I'm not a great actor, so you know to to stay with that and to keep that chip as uh, chip on your shoulder at all times, it, it starts to convolute and become part of your real life. And it was something that I I had to just go in and out of and drop a little more. Connor never drops a stick, man. He's got the mom after him right now, and he's not barking. And I assure you, he's hiding somewhere, scared to death, but he he won't do it publicly. And there's a real brilliance in that. A magician never shows his tricks. Uh, so I really admire the way that Connor does it, but. 
yes, to act like he wasn't influenced, sure he was. But but I I stole somebody else's act too. I was I was influenced as well, man. It's like music. There's only so many notes. Very, very true. You, you did use the word cave fame there, and you got me to pop. I've asked you this a couple years ago. I'm sure you get asked it all the time. I don't want you to get too old, Chael, without having a moment in pro wrestling, having a really, really big moment. Does that matter to you at all? I know that you respect that game. Maybe you've sampled from that game. Will we ever see, you know, Chael as a, as a, as a manager in a big thing, Chael in a match, anything crossover WWE? What do you got going for you? You know, I don't think so. I, I and I kind of pissed those guys off. I, I was asked to be uh, a contestant in a Royal Rumble, and I wasn't against it. I just couldn't get the date, and I, I actually worked hard. I, I tried to clear it up. I tried to do it. They thought I blew them off. Uh, and I, I haven't really heard back. I mean, I, I when it, whenever they come to town, they invite me and, and give me and uh, some friends some really good tickets, and we have a real blast. But you know, my fan fandom of that sport is is greatly overrated. I enjoyed it a lot in the '80s, the Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Warrior. My buddy Justin and I dressed up as Demolition in sixth grade for Halloween. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but I kind of went away. I came back for the, the Stone Cold and the Rock and. Then when everything happened with CM Punk, I, I kind of went away again. So I, I watch WrestleMania every year, and if they come to town, I go and uh, you know sit as close to the ring as I can, and I cheer, and I have a great time. But that, that's kind of where that is. Uh, I can respect that. What year was that, by the way, that you were almost in the Rumble? Fans will want to hear this. They'll pop for this. Well, let's see here. I can't tell you the year, but I think it was three years ago because I was on suspension for one, and I was uh, – let's think of where this was. It was in Dallas, where they call like Jerryville or something, where the where the Cowboys play. So I think that was fourteen. If I'm wrong, it was fifteen. Wow, wow. Chael, to close here, we saw a really sort of intimate look at the real, in you know, behind the scenes Chael Sonnen during the Bellator countdown show ahead of the Bellator 192 card, and it showed you as a parent, and it was fun to watch. I want to know, you have two young kids that we've seen there. As a dad, what do you most hope to hand down to them in terms of, you know, lessons or, or you know, what what type of transaction do you hope to teach them as they grow older here? Well, you, you know, you just want them to be good people. At the end of the day, you want them to be good people and you want them to be happy. But uh, they will get passed down in work ethic and they will get passed down uh, that their word means something. If you give your word to do so, there's good deals and bad deals. But once you make a deal, you have a deal. And uh, that, that, that philosophy is gone in, in many ways, and I see guys trying to renegotiate and mad, and I, I don't understand these things, man. If you shake hands and you have a deal, you've got a deal. You have to be a person of your word, and it speaks to your character. And uh, I will be greatly disappointed if, if they don't uh, impart on that. There you have it. Bellator 192, Saturday, January 20th at the Forum in Inglewood. Tune whoa, in. whoa, 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 whoa. We, we, we answered your questions, but now I have one. Yeah, let's bring it. Bring it, JLP. Do you know what is six feet tall, charming, dashing, and disappears without notice? <laughs> no, who? What? <laughs> we've, we've seen that one before. love it great stuff thanks guys well King Mo Chael Sonnen is uh, never afraid to put it out there never afraid to fill up a a notepad uh, full of sound bites if you're an an MMA journalist always love chatting with him Uh, let's get into a couple things he said because the biggest thing for him 
is he's done his best work at middleweight. Now he's moving up to heavyweight for this tournament to face, you know, opening against Rampage though, a blown up light heavyweight. But, you know, his sort of way to look at it is, I come from a time where there wasn't weight classes, so this is not a problem for me. And I, those are great quotes. It's tough talk. But Chael Sonnen is still 40 years old and has a certain frame. Can he really compete against heavyweights in this tournament? I know that's the same question kind of being thrown at you, but you've got a little bit more, let's say, you know, a resume of doing that, and you're not a middleweight. You're a light heavyweight. Is this realistic for Chael Sonnen to go deep in this tournament? It's very realistic. People don't realize this. Chael walks around at 230, 235. Chael is bigger than me. Every time I've seen Chael, I've never been bigger than Chael ever. Only time I've been, no, actually, no, I've never been bigger. Chael's been bigger than me, like, through high, through college, through, um, interna- internationally, and now. You know, Chael's a, Chael's a big guy. He cuts a lot of weight. I think that he has the ability to do it. I think, I think he could do it up to his mind, up to what he wants to do. So if that's he goes, what he said. He yeah. said that there's no such thing as past your prime, that really it's when guys are truly motivated, then they have a resurgence and everybody goes, look, look, here's, you know, here's his second life. And he's saying, no, the idea of being in your prime is really mental. Now, obviously you can counteract that and say physically, eventually your skills diminish, but how do you, how much do you identify that with it as a fighter that, you know, you look past your prime, but maybe you just weren't motivated for that fight. Uh, I think that's very, I think that's very true. Um, for instance, my great, my great, my great example is my boy, Larry Holmes. Remember when Larry Holmes fought Mike Tyson? He had, a, had, had came off a t- two-year, three-year layoff, something like that. Oh, Don King filled his mailbox with money to, to come yep. back for that. Yep. Took the fight, came Mike Tyson, got smashed. After that, he looked terrible versus Mike Tyson. You know, but he looked all right in some spots, got stopped. Then he went on to win, I believe, nine or ten more fights. He beat Ray Mercer, beat the brace off Ray Mercer, looked amazing versus Ray Mercer. That was two or three years after he lost to Mike Tyson. When he was like in his early forties, got the title shot against Holyfield. Exactly. So I, I could be wrong, but a lot of it is just is mental. A lot of it's how, you know, actually most of it's mental. The, the fight game is pretty much, I feel like 98% mental, 2% physical. Now, if you have an injury, it changes. But if, you're, if your mind is strong, you know what I'm saying? You go out there and do what you got to do regardless. I want to get into the Chael Rampage matchup in a second. I just want to get through a couple other things Chael said. He says the favorite of this tourney is the winner of the uh, King Mo Bader matchup because you guys are hungry, younger. You have the wrestling to match up well against heavyweights. I mean, you, I'm sure you'd agree with that. Yeah, I, yeah. You know what? With me, I believe it because I'm not afraid. Bader, on the other hand, um, I think he's a good fighter, good athlete, but I think he's afraid because I've seen times where he's looked, looked scared. He, I saw fear in his eyes when he fought Rumble. Granted, Rumble's a scary guy, but I fear no man because Rumble can bleed. You know what I'm saying? We all bleed. We're all men. Anything can happen. I've seen – I'll never forget when I watched Mike Tyson get beat by Buster Douglas. Like that's the biggest upset I've ever seen other than what I saw on Sunday with the – um with the uh, – uh, what you call it? Uh, was it the um, Saints and the um, – Oh, Vikings. yeah. But the, that yeah. was a heartbreaker. That was a big upset right there. Like, the finish <laughs> was kind of like surprising to me because I changed – I missed it. I changed the channel, but I mean like – Anything can happen in this fight game, man. People, I don't know, people, it's all mental, really. It's all, it's always mental. Uh, Chael went on to sort of slam his former foes, Anderson Silva and John Jones, as we heard, talking about the way they've handled their fail- drug test from a PR standpoint and how Chael was, I guess, surprised that the public is forgiven so easily. Now, Chael went the next level and said both are guilty, and you can, you know, you, you can decide that on your own, but I think he's got a point at, at how, you know, if you look at the long slew of, 
big MLB names, the guys who were open and said, yeah, I did it. You know, I took HGH. I was recovering from injury. I looked for an upper hand. I did it. We forgive those guys. No one talks about Jason Giambi anymore, right? But everybody's talking about the guys who haven't come clean. Do you think he's got a point here as it, as it pertains to these two stars? Because, like, it's different for Chael because he's a villain, you know, in terms of marketing. But Silva and Jones are, are baby faces, if we're going to be honest, right? And here are guys who are who haven't, who are just sort of fighting against, you know, uh, the the idea that that they ever could have been dirty there. Chael's just like, come clean. Well, Jones is an anti-hero. Jones is an anti-hero. Anderson Silva's a hero. You know what I'm saying? He's a face. With, with Jones, you don't know what you can get the Stone Cold, you can get the Bret Hart. That's true. There's been many heel turns in there for sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he, heel, face, heel. You, you never know, but I just don't know because the thing is, like, I saw the guy, um, Jeff, I forgot his name, Jeff Nowitzki. Nowitzki, yeah. He came out there and said he felt like um, Jones' story like just didn't add up, but he felt like why would Jones take this drug at this time? Who know? I don't know. I don't know. Aronson, I don't know because now you you're seeing all this all this stuff. I don't know if it's real or not. Like you know, um, people saying that big news coming or a turn in the events. Like, but you should never know because people put fake stuff out there. So you never. I, I just wait to hear what's gonna happen. I never assume nothing, you know. But you never know what's gonna happen. I, I, I'm not in their bodies. I'm, I wasn't there, but I just, you know, Jones failed. He failed directly. He passed the ones before and passed the ones after, but failed that one, which is, I don't know. It's just, it's just weird. Yeah, Maybe. He may have an out there. I, I mean, I feel like it's probably more likely that Jones comes back this summer after a second one year ban, you know, tainted supplement, did it wrong, whatever, than him being out four years and getting the full thing and changing his career forever. It just depends on it depends because we don't know what Shada knows. We don't know what Jones has said to them. We don't because the thing is, it could be he could have said something and, and contradicted another. Spe- no, we don't know. We just all we can do is just wait to see what they do. Well, same thing with Anderson Silva. We just wait and see what Anderson does, you know, or what they do with Anderson. I don't know. I I purposely don't really read into that because some, then when you read into a lot of things, you start to come to conclusions and assume things. So I just wait to hear what they finally release because I don't want to be sitting there. Oh, what's gonna happen? Well, what'd you hear? Oh, I heard this. Nah, no, no, he say, she say. Let's hear what they say so we can understand what's going on. That's fair. Very, very fair point. Chael also talked about. I like this forty-year-old version of Chael. He's honest. He's like, I'm not gonna talk trash about Rampage because I don't hate him. And he's like, in the past, I would have stuck to the kayfabe. I can't do it anymore. I can't. You know, that was interesting to see because. That's sort of his M.O. That's how he got to this point. I mean, his ability was good enough to become a respectable UFC fighter who climbed the the title ladder. But let's not lie. The reason why Chael's still fighting and still headlining is because of his ability to sell in his mouth. And for him to sort of say now that, you know, you know, I can't hold that shtick together if I don't feel it. A guy like Connor never breaks kayfabe, and that's why he is the star he is today. That, that, was, that was very interesting. Yeah, yeah, you know what? It, it's true, but at the same time, like, Kyle God break break kayfabe. It's easy to be in character when you have a bunch of people backing you. Think about this, like look at for instance, Donald Trump. I'm not gonna go too deep, but he has a base, right? The support to regardless what he does. So he can always go out there. He can go out there and pour bleach on the baby. And people gonna <laughs> people gonna no people gonna back him because they they believe in him. That's that's what they have. You know what I'm saying? Connor has that thing, so Connor can say whatever he wants, and he knows back in Ireland and in Europe they will support him. In America. Chael, I, I just took up for Chael left and right. I didn't tell people Chael is not racist. Chael's a good guy. Chael is cool. I knew Chael from back in, back in the training center, back when I used to wrestle. I'll never forget watching Chael wrestle Mark Munoz at Oklahoma State at Gallagher Iba Arena. I was there. I watched, I watched Chael put Mark Munoz in a heel hook. 
You know what I'm saying? I've seen I've seen it all. Chael is a good dude. It's just that people they see something and they don't know how to separate fiction from reality. And they have to realize like the fight game is it's kind of fiction. It's reality is the result, but the fight we're getting paid to do something that's unrealistic. No one else gets paid to fight but us and boxers. You know, this is not the real world. I feel like, you know, um sometimes people trip too much. Very, very interesting analogy from there talking about this WWE Hall of Famer. If you lose, I get to shave your head. Oh! Yeah, who can forget that moment? Uh, King Mo, so let's get into this card. Bellator 192, that's Saturday night from the Forum in Inglewood, California, on the new Paramount Network, per, formerly the Spike Network, 9 p.m. Eastern. This is another Bellator tent pole sort of card, and it's a good one. Though a last-minute main event switch that was sort of interesting. Rampage Chael now in the main event. The welterweight title bout between Douglas Lima, the defending champion, and Rory McDonald bumped to co-main. I thought this was interesting that this happened so last-minute. And some people in the media got upset about it, which I thought was completely overblown. People are watching this card because of Chael and Rampage. Let's not, like, try to forget, you know, pretend anything else. Rory McDonald and Lima is a way better fight. It, it means more in the actual, you know... What really matters in the rankings and the pound for pound, all that, of course. But Rampage Chael is what's selling here. So if I'm if I'm going to say anything negative to Bellator, it's like this should have been the main event from day one. I don't care if Rory's mad. I don't care if anybody's mad. Well, you know what? When it comes down to it, like you have to look at them from a TV standpoint. Okay, let's say worst case scenario, Lima and Robert Dons goes five rounds, and it's, a, and it's like a grappling session. That will hurt ratings. We know with Chael and we know with Quentin, Quentin can't wrestle to save his life. Chael can wrestle. Chael ain't got no punching power. Quentin got punching power. So we, we see a contrast of styles. So it's the old school style, old school matchup. You got a guy that's willing to bang it out versus a small guy that's going to try to wrestle. It's perfect. It's a per- it's, it, now, if it's different, if it's a big guy trying to wrestle versus a small guy trying to strike, because a big guy would just take him down and lay on him. You know what I'm saying? But this is a whole different, this is a whole different dynamic. Chael's going to wrestle somebody that's going to have to fight somebody. That's bigger, stronger, and dangerous. Quinn is fighting somebody that's going to try to take him down and, you know, elbow him to death and, you know, submit him if possible. But Quinn, but Quinn has nothing to really fear standing. So Quinn can come forward and press the action. This fight is going to be an action fight. I personally feel like it's going to be people going to be on the edge of their seat because they're going to be wondering, will Quinn land that shot? Oh, yeah. They're going to be sitting there quickly in that shot. And it's a sexy matchup. Both guys, you know, a former UFC champion against one of the biggest stars in UFC history in Chael, if we're really being honest, in terms of, you know, drawing power and getting your attention. And it's the first round of an organized tournament in which the winner is going to be the new heavyweight champion. It just makes too much sense. This should have been the main event from day one. But let's get into this matchup, which is sort of teased there. You've been in the cage twice with Quentin Jackson in recent years, but that recent run by Quentin Jackson, despite him being four and one over his last five entering this fight, I don't feel like it was the same, you know, obviously it's not the same Rampage from 2007 who came to UFC, but I just feel like motivation may have been part of his problem. And the big narrative leading into this one, if you watch the Bellator produced preview shows is that he's in, you know, the best shape of his life in years and he's wants to win this title for his coach. And, you know, they're playing that whole card. You buy it? You think we're going to see a better version of of Rampage than we even saw against you? Quentin Jackson is the black version of the, of of, the, of uh, Oscar De La Hoya. Explain you know that. I say that. Because every time you see De La Hoya, I'm the best shape of my life. <laughs> I mean, I train hard, and then he'll go out there fighting gas. You know what I'm saying? Or 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 look bad. We saw it for Trinidad. We saw it for De La Hoya. We saw it for Mosley twice. 
We saw it versus the only time he looked great after, you know, was when he fought Fernando Vargas. Let's be truthful. He looked bad versus B Hop. Like, like, you know, but I think Quentin is the same way. I'm the best shape of my life. I'm training hard. Well, if you're the best shape of your life and you're training hard, why are you still 250? Answer that. Why are you still 250? If you fight, you know, you fight at 205. I, okay, let's say he wants to fight and fight chill at 235. Okay, I respect that. He's in good shape. But if he goes to scale and weighs 250, or over 240, he's in bad shape. So talk to me about his takedown defense, Kingmo. You split a pair of fights with him over the past uh, past three years, four years. Both unanimous decisions won either way. How will his takedown defense be against Chael? You know what? I think it'll be solid until he gets tired. If I were Chael, I would shoot, smother him, work the body, and go keep on looking for the takedown because – Regardless, if you're reacting to somebody trying to take you down, you're gonna get tired. You're gonna get tired. Both guys get tired, but the guy executes the takedown. If he's efficient with his technique, he should be able to sit there all day. I sat there all day on Quentin against the cage. He sat there, let me sit there. You know, if he's gonna do that with Chael, he's gonna lose. You know what I'm saying? If he if he keeps a fight in the center of the cage, he has a better chance. But Chael's speed will give him problems. But if he fights with his back on the cage, he will lose. What is the best way Rampage can win this fight on the feet? I mean, what does he? I mean, we know he brings power, but you know, by default, he's still got power. Does he still set up his shots well? What was it like in there against him? You know, if 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 I were Quentin, Quentin's a good, a good boxing coach and learn how to punch the people. He's a good chin. You know, what I'm saying sometimes what Quentin does is he he'll he'll the guy will throw shots, he'll cover and shoot the shot, or he'll catch the shots and shoot them back. By that time, by the time he's catching them and trying to shoot them back, he's so slow. Will be gone. His best bet is to just move his head and punch with the guy. Throw his jab. That's the, if I were him, I'd fight. I would fight Chael. Every time Chael throws the punches, you punch with him. Bend your legs a little bit more. Get a lower stance. Punch with Chael and fight going forwards. But, Can't fight going backwards on this one. Fair points. Uh, by the way, you got robbed in that first fight against Quentin Jackson when you lost by decision. Uh, twenty nine, twenty eight on all three cards. I just want to be honest with that, not because I'm your friend, but because it's the truth. All right. Yeah, you know, it, it, you know, it, I, I, that's one thing. That's one thing I worry about. I was talking to Linton the sales coach, Darren. Darren's a good guy, you know, cool guy. I was talking to him. He said, "Mo, I'm excited for this Chael, Chael um, Rampage fight, but what I worry about is the the judging." And that's now, if you look at it, a lot of people now are starting to worry about the judging. And, and I hope that you know, with Big John going to Bellator. You know, who's going to take his spot? We need to, like, you know, we have, we have, we have, uh, Herb Dean, but with Big John, he was a leader. He took the, the position as a leader of all the referees. We looked at him as the, the cream de la creme of referees. If, if, if you had a title fight, who would you want to referee that fight? Big John McCarthy. Exactly. Not, no, Mario Yamasaki. Hey, Yamasaki's cool, but Big John, because Big John, when, he, when he's asserted, when he goes out there, he, he commands respect. No one's going to break the rules of Big John in the ring. You're telling me you don't want Mike Beltron with that beard with the braid and all that? Oh, you know what? Beltron's legit, too. I like him, too. But just off of off of tradition and off of what we know and off of a guy that's been there from the start. Big John's been there from the start of MMA in America. So how? what does he – if Big John's in the cage, what are you saying? We get we get, we get get it stood up quicker? We get a, a, a fairer shake in there? Well, Big John, he he understands fighting, so I feel like he he'll understand the nuances. So say with Qu- say Quentin and, and Chell are fighting, and Chell's in Quinn's guard doing nothing. Look for a stand up to happen. 
Now, now let's say Chael's and Quinn's guard trying to work and Quinn's just trying to hold, but look for Sam nothing happen because Quinn's not trying to make any attempt to get to his feet. Big John understands people try to play the game and he's, he's a middleman to stop people from playing the game. Like, you know, guys try to touch the ground instead of getting knee, you know, go, drop the one knee. Big John don't play that. He'll let you know that. And he's, and he knows fighting. He's seen every position, seen just about every submission can hit. He's, he's a vast knowledge, of, um, you know, of wealth in, in MMA. He sees it all. So I think, I think him being the, being, him, I, it, it's gonna hurt us as fighters that he's not gonna be refereeing, but hopefully the other referees set the game up. But at the same time, it's gonna help the fans because the he can tell the fans a different insight of what's going on in the cage. Yeah, Big John joining the Bellator broadcast. Jimmy Smith left Bellator, joined UFC. Although Big John says he's not officially done refereeing, he is sort of taking this new step in his career. Uh, King Mo, so we assume that when Quentin gets tired, Chael can take him down. Can Chael finish the fight though via submission or ground and pound, or is this if is a Chael victory essentially a decision or he loses? <sighs> decision or loses because here's the thing, right? Quentin is dangerous, not dangerous. But he's big, strong, and he's and he's, a, he's a body type that is, you know you can't really armbar him or come him. He's so stocky. You can wear a naked choke him, but he's so thick. How are we gonna um keep how are you gonna put the hooks in and or body like you know um body triangle him? He's so thick. Um, Chael's best bet is to wear him, wear him, wear him down, and just slow him down. And just keep on staying at him and grind him out. That's his best bet. His best bet is to go out there, get Quentin tired, to where coming in the third period, Quentin has no power left to land any type of dangerous shots on him. Yeah, the deeper this goes, it ends Rampage's chances of winning. Kind of, but at the same time, Chael sometimes can be. Defensively irresponsible. Yeah, well, there's the the first Silva fight, right? Let's be let's be honest about that. Yeah, a lot of a lot of fight. Like you know, he gets hit. Like even when he fought Rashad, like like sometimes he'll go out there and do good things and just lose his mind. And that just comes from a lack of mental focus. That's the only thing that hurts Chael. The lack of mental mental focus is a lot of times I feel like when he's out there winning, he's like, okay, I'm gonna win. I can't wait to what what promo am I cut down? Oh, I got armbarred. You know, like he he I feel like he thinks about his celebration. With the, with like two minutes left in the fight, instead of worrying about winning the fight, that that's fair criticism here. Uh, prediction wise, we sort of nailed it. Chill's going to take a decision in my eyes. I think Quinton's going to have his moments offensively in the first round. You know, Vondi was able to find that chin against Chael during their bout last year. Chael took the punch as well, got the fight to the ground because that's what he does. I think the first fi- first round is going to be the most fun. I question whether rounds two and three will be fun, but I think it's going to be Chael on top, grinding it what? out. Yeah, but the thing is, I don't know if Chill be able to keep Quentin down. That's the only thing, because Quentin is so... He, granted, one thing I can say about Quentin, he don't... There's no quit in him. You know what I'm saying? He don't quit. He'll keep coming, keep trying. I'll give him that, man. He has some heart. So I, I nothing bad about nothing bad to say about him as a fighter right there. Like he'll, he'll, You have to be honest with Quentin. You're fighting him, he's always in the fight, because he can always land that one punch, that one equalizer, to get that win. Well, let's hope this kicks off the tournament with an exciting bang to get to get the ball rolling and, the, and get the drums going because this is going to be a fun tournament. You're a part of it. I'm really looking forward to see who comes out of each stop because it's there's very little non-sexy matchups to make it. I mean, there's eight guys who, who you know, when matched together in any form, it's going to be fun. These guys will kick that off. Now the new co-main event is that, that welterweight fight we mentioned. Douglas Lima, who's severely underrated when you're talking about, you know, some of the top 170-pound fighters in the world, against Rory McDonald, the arguably the biggest Bellator signing in history, not commercially but certainly critically being so close to his prime, leaving the UFC. 
How do you how do you look at this one style wise, matchup wise? Okay, so here's a here's a here's an interesting thing, right? You talk to a lot of people that that are big MMA UFC fans, they'll be like Roy McDonald's gonna smash Lima. But here's the thing you forget. After Rory fought Robbie, how much how much time do you have off before he fought Wonder Boy? Let's check that out. Let's check it out, cause uh, it's basically uh, basically eleven months, so a year. Yeah, so after you got beat by Wonder Boy, how much more time do you take off after that? Uh, about ten months. So let's let's so it's safe to say something's wrong with his nose. His nose ain't the same. I texted Lima because Lima's my dog. I texted Lima last uh, few nights ago. I said, Lima, if you can do damage and make him bleed, you got this fight won. That's that's an interesting point because I mean, look, Rory gutted through that fight with with Lawler before being stopped in the fifth round. But obviously, the nose changed the the entire tenor of the fight. And not, not just that, the biggest, the biggest, the biggest. Um, the biggest thing you can know, actually, the fight after, when he fought when he fought Wonder Boy, that's when the fight his nose became more apparent because when he started bleeding, he didn't take as many chances. He, he became a re- instant wrestler. He didn't stand. He backed up. He let Wonder Boy look like Leo Machida, the old prime Leo Machida. You mean this guy? Welcome to the Machida era. That was my guy for one night, right? That was a great era. It was a great era, but I feel like I feel like um, if Lima can stay solid. The calf kick ain't gonna land because I think, I'm pretty sure Rory is onto that. He's hip to that. Rory fights long, but if Lima can stay on his jab and, and touch his nose, just a few, just enough to make him bleed, the, the game will change because I know Rory is thinking about that nose. I know he's thinking, I know he's worried about it. I know he's protecting it. That's, 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 once you feel pain like that, you'll never, you'll never forget it. And if you think about this, when Robbie stopped him, if you watch that, if you if you watch it right now, when Robbie stopped him, when he went down, he was thinking about not stopping. You could see it in his face; he was thinking about not stopping. He, he took it. He he kind of sat to his butt real low, put his hand on the ground, and was like, "Should I?" Get? And he just went down and just stopped because his nose was shattered at that time, and he was thinking, "He's like, I can fight through this because I know he could." But he's like, "My nose, my health." Referee stop. I think that's smart analysis. I think it's certainly something to look for, look, look to. And also, you know, it's something to not overlook what Douglas Lima has done, you know, through victories over, I mean, a really good run when you consider Lorenz Larkin coming back in the rematch against Korshkov and knocking him out for the title. He took a decision from Paul Daly on even terms, though, outside of those type of circumstances. Is this Rory's fight to win in your eyes? I don't know. I don't know. It's a lot of questions to ask because the thing is, Rory's only fought one, twice in two years, right? Or two and a half years. Um, Lima's cardio. What's the weight cut like? Um, any hidden injuries? Rory's nose. Because Lima can punch. Let Lima land a good stiff jab or a good one too. That, 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 that will turn, um, Rory into Speedy Gonzalez, the roadrunner. He's gonna run all over. He will, he will not engage with them. He'll become a wrestler, grappler, runner. Usain Bolt. Very interesting. My prediction for this, King Mo, and I, and I am really looking forward to this fight, is I love everything that Lima brings to the table. But McDonald has to win this fight. There was a big investment in him. He's got to win this fight. He's got to win this title. He's got to be the the critical face of this promotion, whereas there's a lot of guys who certainly can be the commercial face. 
I think he's going to win this one, and I think he's going to do it from distance, chipping away with strikes and really trying to control the pace out there. It's not going to be an easy task. I mean, Lima's going to really have a chance to take him into deep waters, but Rory's got to be Rory again, and this is his moment to do that. The thing is, like, as far as the face of the organization, the way Bellator Bellator is, like, they brought him in because they're like, hey, we we can compete. Win or lose, like, they're still going to push him. I don't think that he has to win or lose because regardless of the way Strikeforce is, you remember Strikeforce, there was no true, just one true face of Strikeforce. We had faces. That's how Bellator is going to be. That's the problem with the UFC. The UFC pretty much has, like, two faces and one of them being the white. You know what I'm saying? Great point. People, Bellator, no one even asked about Scott Coker. Coker isn't care to be asked about. Coker's like, you asked me a question? Well, let's talk about Lima. Let's talk about these fighters. You know, interview these fighters. That's all. He, that's what he cares about. He cares about his product looking good. He don't care about himself. He cares about his product looking good. Michael Chandler will look to bounce back from that freak injury loss against Brent Primus where he gave up his Bellator lightweight title where he faces Goiti Yamauchi. Is that how I'm saying that correctly? I think it's Yamaguchi. It's, uh, it's always good to have Chandler on the card, Kingmo, because the guy just brings it. Uh, you could argue that he deserved a title shot after the way he lost that fight, but he'll be in this fight seemingly to set up a comeback for the belt. Yeah, and my only worry is I don't know where he did his camp at. I'm not sure if he did it in Tennessee. I know Neil Melanson ain't been around. I don't, I don't remember. I don't reckon, I, you know, I haven't seen much about him posting anything at Harry Hoosh Gym. Henry's gym at combat club. So I'm, I'm just, you know, I love Chandler. I love, I love, uh, Goyte, but, you know, I, I just want Chandler to, to, to stay. I hope he trains smart. I know he trains hard. I hope he trains smart because this guy he's fighting from Brazil is no joke. He, he's a, he's great, great submission specialist. He, he'll, he can fight. He's well-rounded. Probably one of the most well-rounded people in Bellator. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Uchi, I believe how you say it. He's a native, uh, he's a Japanese, but, but fights out of Brazil. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's, Nah, he's tough, man. I've watched him fight. I've been watching him. I remember when they first signed him, they were, it was kind of rock. They were like, ah. But then he just put it up the street. You know, he's been been taking care of business. We're also going to see the third fight for Aaron Pico. You know, the the uber super prospect, which Bellator seemingly signed when he was still in high school, basically, to set him up. One and one had a killer knockout in his bounce back after that loss in his pro debut. We'll go in there against Shane Crutchton. Uh, how long do you think Pico should be in sort of this? Let's feature him. Let's put him on the TV card because I, don't, I mean you don't want to rush rush a, a kid this young into something major, especially since we've already seen him lose. But at 21, it feels like he's the goods. How do you promote him moving forward? Just gotta keep on putting him. Up. It's like this, right? Give him fights. Yeah, he's young. He loses some right now. He wins some, but but in the long run, the investment he'll get better. He'll improve. It's not look, look at Nick. Look at Remember when Nate Diaz out the UFC he took some L's and then all of a sudden he became came into his own. I feel like with someone like him, they've got to move him, move him slow, but just move him. Make sure he's fighting while he's healthy. You know, um, I wouldn't give him like cans because this guy coming up, Shane. I know Shane. Shane was a former Marine. You peep his story. His story's crazy. You know, um, he's seen death. He's uh, he's uh, I think he's a brown belt or a black belt um, under Eddie Bravo at Tenth Planet. This guy can he'll come and fight you. You know what I'm saying? You have to you have to get to stop him to get the win. You know what I'm saying? So this fight right here is gonna it's gonna make it's gonna you know Aaron Pico could compete, but he's a dig deep to get this get this finished. 
Interesting. I, I, I want to see more from this guy. I want to see him often. I want to see if he is the goods. I mean, he, he looks like, like we talked about in his last fight. He scored this, you know, no doubt knockout against kind of a no hoper, but, but was vulnerable in doing so. So I think his progression is going to be just as entertaining as, as sort of the way that he finishes fights to see if those vulnerabilities eventually go away. Look, it's tough for anybody to be, you know, given the title of the, uh, the best prospect in MMA history and sort of have to carry that on his shoulders, but that'll be interesting. All right, Kingbo, we get, we got to roll into the close here, and that's UFC 220 pay-per-view Saturday night from the TD Garden in Boston. This is a heck of a top-heavy card. Let's pull no punches, all right? The rest of the – outside of the main and co-main event, this is not a pay-per-view card. Uh, a couple things to look for, but nothing major going on. This is all about two title fights and two title fights which promise, like, knockout fireworks potentially here. If you're just a casual fan and you just want to see two punchers, you know, or two, a couple guys who can bring it go in there. The main event, Stipe Miocic defending that heavyweight title against red hot Francis Ngannou. We've teased on this in the past, but the real storyline here at King Mo is, is Ngannou, MMA's Mike Tyson, whatever you want to say. Can he, is, is what we saw 46 days ago against Alistair Overeem when he knocked that chin back with the uppercut from hell for the knockout of the year. Is that real? Can he do that against the champ, Stipe Miocic? I think one of the interesting wrinkles is Stipe's as bold as we've ever seen him, and he's like, just my two cents? UFC wants Francis to win. Hey, Stipe, I agree with you. UFC does want Francis to win. That's why he's in the title shot right here. This will be fun. It will be fireworks. Where are you leaning, King Mo? Well, of course they wanted it. Like I already said, remember the reason why I said they want um, and got him to win because they want to go into France to tap that market. It's very smart. So back to, um, now here's the thing, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I know I'm gonna get some slack for this. Okay, remember back in Pride, back when there's a guy named by the name of Sokuju. Oh, well, Terry Ramo, right? Yeah, Tim, Terry Ramo Sokuju. I used to train with him. Sokuju came and hit the scene. Actually, fought Glover Teixeira, got stopped, but then. Got to, went back to train and hit the scene. Smashed Nogueira. Remember Hargerio? Everyone was like, whoa, who's this guy? This smashed Arona, right? And they were like, man, this guy's the truth, man. He's the top five power, top five fighter of all time. He did that then, his first five fights, by the way. Yes. And then guess what? He ran to the dragon who had more skills, had, had things, had skills that he'd never seen before, never encountered, threw him off. Now here's the thing about Steve Meiosi. Stipe can box. Stipe lost to Brian Jenkins. I remember Brian Jenkins told me, he's like, yeah, I fought Stipe in the amateurs, beat him. But Stipe's fought good boxes before. Stipe, if Stipe can stay slick and use his jab and stay responsible defensively and smother Ngannou when he can for the first round and a half, the first round and a half, if he can do that for the first round and a half, he will retain the belt. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we are – we as an MMA society are very quick to write off Stipe in this match, right? Because, you know, he's the betting underdog, which I, I get, I get what, why, why the odds makers go in that direction. But I, I mean, we, one thing Stipe has shown in his run of knocking out five straight big name opponents is that he can take it and give it back and that he's not rattled in there. I mean, just the way in which he won the title and knocked out Verdum on, on the back foot. I mean, he's, he's, <laughs> Heavy dangerous himself. It seems like we're speeding this up too quick. Let's put the next potential star in the slot. Yes, Ngannou's crazy scary, but the way you just laid it out is try to take him into into some waters here, which no one's been able to do outside of Curtis Blades for for a bit before his face fell apart. Well, the thing thing is, like, I feel like um, 
Ngannou's green. I think he's gonna be. I think the moment Ngannou learns how to fight, it'll be like Brock Lesnar. Because Brock Lesnar, the moment Brock Lesnar learned how to fight after the the, the Frank Mir fight, the loss, he was like, okay, I understand. Once he clicks, he's gonna be hard to beat. But you know, at the, at the same time, I feel like sometimes you know MMA, we tend to label everybody doing something spectacular. Mike Tyson. Yes. Think about this. Vitor Belfort was labeled the next Mike Tyson. Same thing with Overeem. Same thing with Igor Vachachin. Remember Igor Vachachin? Yes. Yeah. Um, how many, how many people have been, oh, Ronda Rousey is the next Mike Tyson. <laughs> the next Mike Tyson. Well, uh, so in, in this calendar year, you know, coming off of 2017, it's, it's even more likely you'll see that because every week we're like, UFC has no stars. They're, they're, you know, they're doing anything they can to, to prop somebody up to be the next big thing. Oh, Cody's, the, Cody's the next McGregor. We're going to prop him. But yeah, it's, it's the same thing over and over again. It's, it's a more vulnerable time than ever, which is why on 46 days notice, this guy's being rushed into a title shot. And the thing is, that thing is like, Quit comparing people to Mike Tyson. You know what? If if Engano reminds me of a two-handed version of Adonna Stevenson, because Adonna Stevenson, left hand carries someone. He's the the Adonna Stevenson is the most devastating puncher in boxing right now, even over Deontay, because off of one hand. Engano has so much power. He has two Adonna Stevensons in both hands. You know what I'm saying? Like he has like Adonna Stevenson here, Adonna Stevenson right here. If he touches you, you're going to sleep. But my thing is, when have you seen Engano set up any punches? When you see him throw a jab, faints. No, he just throws heat. Now, what happens when the heat don't land? When the heat don't land, your cardio and your energy bar starts to decrease. You know what I'm saying? I I, I know Dewey Cooper. Dewey Cooper will have him in shape, but at the same time, it, you can't teach a person how to fight. They have to learn. They have to experience it. They have to be in there and be put in certain positions. What happens when a guy gets taken down? What happens if he gets taken down? What happens if he starts bleeding or gets cut? What happens when if Steepley takes his back? You know, like, there's a lot of questions. Like, people are, people are seeing highlights. It's like, oh, this guy's going to win because he knocked this guy out. Well, not every fire is the same. We're not all even. I, I, as a matter of fact, if Stipe loses to, um, to, to Ngannou, if I'm Daniel, I'm like, oh, oh, I'm going up a weight class to fight. If I'm Daniel, if so I'm you're saying if Ngannou wins, that that should entice Cormier, not the other way around. Some people might think, well, if Ngannou wins, this Cormier should stay away from heavyweight. You're like, no, let me go after that. Let me take him into deep water. Oh, yeah, definitely. The best time to fight somebody is when they're young, because the moment they figure out, the moment they learn from their mistakes after they lost, it's game over. Like, like for instance, Jury. Remember the guy I knocked out, Jury Petroska, Petroska, the guy I've knocked out. Now, look, I could beat him again, but I'll tell you this. I guarantee you it's going to be a lot harder because he will not chase me like he did the last time. Right, right. Well, to, like, to, to prove your point on learning lessons, the last time we saw Miocic lose was 2014 against Junior Dos Santos when they went five rounds fight of the night. And I think he only lost because of the cardio. And I think he learned in that fight he's going to have to be better. And guess what? In the next fight, he went five deep rounds with Mark Hunt before finishing him. So... Ngannou never been past two rounds. Is it even possible for him to simulate what this might feel like to go with a full five here? No, and, 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 and another thing you're, you're forgetting about, Stipe, is uh, just the wrestling. People forget Stipe can wrestle. What happens to Stipe? is like, you know what? I'm going to stay behind a jab and wrestle this guy for two rounds. Let me tell you something. Uh, uh, Ngannou trains in Vegas. Unless he called in some wrestlers, college wrestlers, guys in shape to, to wrestle him, he will never know what it feels like. You can ask anybody that's faced wrestlers. Like, for instance, what about Musasi? Musasi was so arrogant and so overconfident. He's like, well, Mo might take me down once, but, I'll, but he won't hold me down. 
but he might, if he gets lucky, he might take me down. Well, I took him down a whole bunch of times. I kept on his back a whole, like for, a long, for most of the fight. A lot you of went, people. You went five rounds that night, that, and that was only your seventh pro fight. I, man, look at these. That five rounds was like if you watched the fight closely after the first round, I was dead. I was I was sitting I was I was sitting down on the ground. I was sitting on a stool. I was sitting down on the ground. I was dead. You know what I'm saying? But I just you know I just think that Engano is it's gonna take him. Even if he wins this fight, it's gonna take him a fight to lose to where he really becomes real good. The moment he loses and it clicks, he's gonna be like, oh, this is why I was getting tired. Oh, this is what mistake I was making. All right, that mistake. We're gonna work on that mistake. The moment he does that, it's gonna be he's gonna be hard to beat. He's gonna be real hard to beat. So I, I, that's very fair analysis, and logically, this makes a lot of sense. Logically, if Miocic, who's better than than people are giving him credit for in comparison to Ngannou's most recent knockout, if he can pull it into just a little bit of deep waters and rely on his boxing and wrestling and put it all together, he should be able to defeat this inexperienced guy. But this is still heavyweight MMA where fights change on one punch, and that's sort of what the odds makers are trying to say that – we did see Miocic get rocked against Overeem and look like he could have been on the verge of being stopped. Overeem was a little bit passive in that first round before Stipe turned the tables and finished him. Is Ngannou going to land that big shot? And if he does, can Stipe take it? Well, here's the like here's the thing. Like here's the thing. People people are comparing two different styles. Now look at look at Ngannou and look at Overeem. If you look at the style, like te- technically, Overeem has way more skills standard wise. So when you're, when Overeem's facing a guy that has skills too, he can know what to expect. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, he's gonna jab, he's gonna jab. Because really, if I'm fighting you and you're experienced, I throw a jab. Guess what you're gonna do back? Throw a jab. You know what I'm saying? And Ganu is so green that like the look he gives you is not the look you normally get from guys that are experienced. That's the difference. Like you like you know, so Overeem went out there. And like Overeem was kind of like, okay, what 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 am I gonna expect? And Ganu goes out there, blitzes him, and throws a smash punch. When's the last time you seen somebody throw a smash? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I, it, it, I, th- I think that I think that if, if I'm at my own stick, I'm a the first round. I'm gonna fight my bike. I'm gonna keep it simple, keep it simple, stupid. Kiss. I'm gonna fight behind a jab, jab, jab. When they got into blitzes, I'm gonna come forward and look for the takedown, smother him, and and do that for two rounds. And the moment you see and got to go like this, or take a step back, then touch the body. Wait till, wait till you see him slow down, then try to finish him. Don't try to finish him when you see him get tired right away. Wait till you see his, you know, gas tank on E and the, the yellow light comes on. When you, when you see that come on, then you go for the finish. Uh, Stipe can become the first UFC heavyweight to defend the title three times, which is still such a crazy stat that no one's ever done it more than twice. So, you know, a lot on the line here. If he puts away Nganu and he could finally Maybe get the respect that that's still eluding him because he's not a great draw because of whatever. I mean, look, the guy's been walking through people. It's interesting, but I've said in the past, we've said in the past, there's still that that other guy in the bullpen, and his name is Kane Velasquez, and this is his division, and this has been you know his decade. Although he can't stay healthy, and he just posted pictures on Twitter of uh, being at the UFC Performance uh, Center of of getting himself back. So Kane potentially against the winner uh, against either of these guys could be very interesting. I'd really see Verdum because I want to see Kane like give Kane another fight like a a tune up like give him give him two fights because because it, it make no sense to to throw Kane in versus Ngannou after uh, coming off a two year layoff what type of sense does that make give him a few fights to get his feet wet that's what that's the problem with 
MMA. Yeah, like, but he can't stay healthy. That's So that's ultimately their problem because they gave him Travis Brown at UFC 200 and he destroyed him, and then we've never seen him again. Yeah, you never saw him, but the thing is, like, he went in that fight injured. You know what I'm saying? Now the time's off, he's healed up. Now he can train smart because I know he was, I know he was injured. I think he had a back injury or a knee, like knee back, or shoulders. One of them three, you know what I'm saying? Or foot, who knows what it is, but now that I think that, you know, he's been training smarter. I heard he's been training smarter, not banging as much, taking time to heal, lifting weights, doing rehab, getting everything right. This two year layoff might be something he needs because Kane, I've trained alongside of Kane, and when Kane goes hard, Kane goes almost too hard, like in training. Kane knows one pace, and he just to go hard. You know, what I'm that's how he has great cardio. It's going to be interesting. The, 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 you know, the head tells you Miocic is going to win this. The heart tells you Ngannou's going to blow him away by first round KO. I feel like both are competing inside of me. I just feel like Francis is on this kind of run. It's hard to pick against him. I'm going to go Ngannou by first round KO. He's going to find that chin. He's going to make that statement improbably. I don't know if he's going to end up defending that belt, but this I feel like can be his night. Your prediction, King Mo. You know what? I'm going with I'm going with Stipe and I'm going with Ngannou in the rematch if it happens. Because I, I just think Stipe will just go, Stipe can go out there and wrestle him. Ngannou's so green. That's one thing people people love the power. But what happens when when what, ha- what would happen if if Stipe was like, you know what? I've been fighting softball. For, I can fight softball. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna go out there and give him a softball. Look, throw a bunch of body kicks. That's something that Ngannou's never really faced the softball. Oh, you know for sure. And, but your scenario, by the way, is, is very, probably the UFC would love that because then Nganu would take a Brock Lesnar versus Frank Mir kind of loss, which you alluded to earlier, and then they, it would be marketable to see, well, I want to see that again. I want to see that again. So the best case scenario is that this is fun. Miocic finds a way to pull it out, but you're going, man, if Nganu had more time or more experience, he could win that. And guess what, guess what could happen? Nganu is a close fight. They'll give Nganu some time. They'll go to France. With some, some people. And they'll be like, hey, let's talk to the government. You know what? We can have a big fight. We can have Ngannou versus Stephen Maiosic for the belt. Under Maybe the Eiffel Tower. We'll put the cage right under the Eiffel Tower. And, and guess what? People are going to tune in. But they'll be like, hey, we'll bring this many jobs. It'll help the economy with this. Um, blah, 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 blah. We'll staff it. People will tune in. And Ngannou's from France. He's, you know, and we'll put nothing but – it'll be like France versus the world. So we'll have all the French fighters that are around on your card. And we'll have them fight guys from America, Brazil – in England and wherever, you know what I'm saying, China. And it'll be France versus the world. The people in France will tune in and go and watch that fight. Very interesting. We close with the co-main event. Light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier against Vulcan Ozdemir. And if you think Francis Ngannou's rushed into a title shot, King Mo, our guy Vulcan has just three UFC fights after making his debut last February. Split decision win over OSP, and then those two crushing first-round knockouts, each under 45 seconds apiece. They were impressive, but King Mo, let's be honest, he's this is this is way too soon for Vulcan. Come on, this is way, way, way too soon. This is a a nicely wrapped get well for Cormier, who lost the belt to Jones, got it back, of course, after the failed drug test. To me, this is a let's put him in there against somebody we can sell who's dangerous. But Cormier's not going to lose this fight. Nah, it should be an M1 mixtape fight. Um, like you remember M1 mixtape, the highlights? Oh yeah, the professor. It's my guy, right? Yeah, professor. Yeah, this this is you go see. You can see MMA M1 mixtape highlight with Daniel Cormier starring. It, so is he gonna pick him up and slam him? What kind? Of, what are we gonna see? We see some hot sauce. What kind of M1 are we gonna see here? I think we're gonna see everything. I think we're gonna see you know a little hot sauce, some alley oops, some some behind the back passes, some <laughs> no look passes, some skip passes, some trick. We're gonna see everything because when it comes down to it, Vulcan. 
is too European with the style, too heavy-footed. I've yet to see him throw any jab. Everything he throws is for power. With someone like that, all you got to do is give him angles, some level changes, some feints, sip to the side, some good boxing, some good wrestling, bada-bing, bada-boom. You have a submission victory, TKO victory in about a round and a half. Daniel Cormier is going to dominate him. I can't, I can't argue with that. It, it, and look, and it's nothing to negative against Vulcan. He destroyed Jimmy Manuel, but it's it just, it, this is a big leap to make. Uh, we just flirted before with the idea of if Cormier wins this, like, would he move up to heavyweight? Does Kane coming back mess with that idea? Cause didn't Cormier try to cut down the light heavyweight to avoid having to fight then champion Kane, who's his boy, training partner, coach, all that? Like, you know, it won't, doesn't that kind of mess with it, with that potential idea? No, I don't know, because the thing is, Kane's tra- coming back, training to come back, but the thing is, will he come back healthy? Who knows? You know what I'm saying? But as long as he's, as long as he's working at it, he's time. You know, he has time. I you think know? with Cormier at 38, I think this is his last fight ever at light heavyweight. It, you, you age better at heavyweight. It's a, it's a, it's a division that, 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 it helps you better on the on the on the twilight of your career. And even though Cormier got into the game a little bit later, he's beaten everybody at light heavyweight outside of John Jones. And I, if we see John Jones Cormier again, let's see it at heavyweight. Like I feel like it's time to move up and get a different kind of business because Cormier is a very good heavyweight. There are some fun, sexy matchups to make there. I think this is the end of that run because what else is he going to prove? At, at, unless the UFC runs right back Cormier Jones three this summer for the light heavyweight title, which some people are going to kind of groan at and be like, we're, we're doing this again. There's nothing else for him to gain. Fighting Gustafson a second time, nothing to gain for Cormier. That's what they're going to do most likely. Gustafson, second time. Because let's be real, even heavyweight, let's be real. Heavyweight, uh, uh, heavyweight's kind of barren too. Let's yeah, but there's real. at least names. Like you, you can put Cormier against some of these aging guys and, and their fights he can win and they can main event and. I know the thing is like, okay, like, but who, who do you have Dale fight? Like a heavyweight? Cause like, who's there? I mean, you can go through those, you know, Verdum. I mean, you can go through well, over him. You can go through all of those guys. Anyone who uh, he hasn't fought. Exactly. But it's only the top, maybe top three or four. Who knows if Overeem gonna fight again? Who knows if Overeem can fast a brain scan? Fair point. You know what I'm saying? So you, have, so you have Verdum, you have Stipe, you have Mark Hunt. I don't know who else is there. I don't know who else is there because heavyweight's kind of right now all around is being reshuffled. There are new people coming up. All right, there's this man named Brock Lesnar. <laughs> I don't know if Brock's gonna come back, but who knows? You never know. Because Brock versus Ngannou in France, if Gan- Brock versus Ngannou in France would make money. You're damn Brock right it would. Brock versus Ngannou in, in, in America would make money. So Ngannou was on uh, the Outside the Cage podcast from WFAN, which is a, a sister show of CBS Sports, and he says that he wants to fight Anthony Joshua in a boxing match and he wants to fight Brock Lesnar in the cage. Okay. Let's win the, let's win the title first, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. Well, I, I tell you this, like he ain't beating Joshua. He ain't hell. He ain't beat Andrew Ruiz. He ain't beat a lot of like, like look. Granted, I want to fight Joshua too because I want that payday. Joshua, Anthony, Joshua, if you're listening to this, please give me a chance to fight you for your belt so I can get the big payday. Of course, everyone's gonna call it Joshua or Deontay, but the chance of that happening, none. People should learn the lesson and watch the Conor McGregor fight. Conor fought guys smaller than him and still got beat up. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the experience level matters, and people act like it don't matter. Power helps, but if you can't land that shot, you're gonna get beat up. There's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I, I stick with your your prediction there that Cormier wins, and I say in a round. I say he he 
he makes this uh, makes a statement here, and that closes UFC 220. Look, there's nothing else on the card to talk about. Yeah, I want to see Thomas Almeida come back and, and become a bantamweight threat again, but look, there's nothing on this card to talk about, King Mo. Let's be honest. This is this is a little bit of a barren run to open the year outside of the sexy main event. Well, it's all good with me because I'm going to be watching Chael fight Quentin, and then if I have time, I'm going to go on my phone and then, you know, watch the, um, you know, find find a stream if I can, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> on Facebook and watch Chael, or not watch Chael, watch Quentin, I mean, watch Daniel beat up on Vulcan. I'm with you on that one. Uh, Eddie, I encourage everyone to listen to the boxing podcast this week when we had this guest on. Let's go, champ! Let's go, champ! Let's go, champ! King Mo, South Florida's own. Yep. Shannon yep. Briggs, the cannon, says... He's been on the phone with Tyson Fury's team about being the opponent for Fury's April comeback. And here's his backdoor strategy to getting Joshua or Wilder. We know that Fury beat Klitschko, meaning he's the guy who beat the guy, the lineal champion in that lineage. In that same lineage, by the way, is Shannon Briggs in 97 when he beat George Foreman. Briggs says, I'll beat Fat Fury. I'll become the lineal champion, and that will get me back into a matchup against these big guys. All right, Briggs is 46. He failed the drug test last year and lost a secondary title shot and had to be suspended for six months. But this is kind of an interesting strategy. This is, this guy's a fun, crazy guy, but uh interesting. Do you think he can get Fury? You know what? If he gets Fury, he could possibly, man, he could possibly beat Fury because Fury is not the type. Fury will, will outbox you and outpoints you. But Briggs has the power to make a difference, but at the same time, Fury don't get tired. So it's going to come down to if Briggs win, he's getting out of there early, plain and simple. I don't think, uh, you know, it, it, I think he can win that fight if Fury comes in really fat. But it's just, look, Briggs has been on this crusade for four or five years to get a fight, needs the money, but he's kind of rebuilt himself into, like, this likable, like, like fun character. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to hate on the guy. Chasing down Vladimir Klitschko in Europe, it's hard to hate on the guy, right? Yeah, everywhere I see him, like, Whenever I see him, I, I saw him a few years ago at the gym, and uh, I was I was I was hitting the bag, and I heard "Let's go, champ!" in the background. I'm like, "Who? Let's go, champ!" And all of a sudden, I see the champ, and I see Shannon Briggs with his shirt off. You know what I'm saying? A hat on, ripped, like, ripped, King Mo. I'm like, "Why do you have your shirt off? It's it's two o'clock in the in the eve in the, in the afternoon. What what you what do you get your shirt off for? It was him and in the uh, Darrell brothers. You know what I'm saying? It was kind of weird, just a random thing, but. No, it's working for him. We'll see. We will see. King Mo, that'll wrap up a loaded edition. Special thanks to Chael Sonnen for joining. Check out Bellator 192 on Saturday on the Paramount Network, 9 p.m. Eastern. You can follow us on social media at King Mo FH, at B Campbell CBS. And King Mo has two words for the people on the way out. Yeah.